Well, happy Father's Day weekend to all of you. Hopefully you get a chance to celebrate and to honor the dads in your life at some point. And uh, so that's great. And I uh, want to also just say thanks so much for, for joining us, no matter what venue you might be in uh, this weekend. And so whether you are uh, outside, whether you are inside, or whether you are online, right? So whether you're out, in, or on, uh, no matter where you are, thanks so much for being here. Welcome to the Medina East Campus. Especially if you're someone who's a guest, we uh, just want to extend a very, very special welcome to you and uh, hopefully you get a chance to uh, to to get to know a little bit who we are either by being here in person or checking out our our website a little bit but um, I want to let you know you are actually catching us in the second week of a series that we have been calling um, recalibrate and so this series we actually said that the goal of this series is actually pretty a pretty simple goal and uh, last week we said that the title of the series really reflects the goal of the series and so the word recalibrate if you actually uh, look up the dictionary definition of this word here's what it means it means to make adjustments or changes. It means to correctly reset something, to change or to adjust the way you do or you think about something. And, uh, and so we said that, yeah, we really feel like this definition uh, really defines what we're trying to do in this series and in this conversation together. And we've been saying that, you know, you think about it, as things begin to slowly reopen and as we approach kind of regathering as a society and a lot of things restarting, we said this is actually a really appropriate and needed kind of series and, and conversation that we're in together. And what we said is, is that maybe uh, we need to approach the unique time that we find ourselves in right now kind of as a fresh opportunity, you know, to recalibrate, to, to make adjustments or changes to correctly, to correctly reset uh, our lives. And so that's really what we've been talking about. And, you know, we've really been saying um, that, that many people in many conversations, many of us, uh, probably, uh, feel a sense of eagerness to get back to uh, quote-unquote normal. Right? I think we all kind of feel that. We want to kind of get back into something uh, that feels like some semblance of normal. But in this series, we're actually saying, well, hey, not too fast. You know, before we, we get back into uh, patterns and rhythms and habits within our life, maybe we should take some time to really pause and to, to recalibrate. You know, maybe there's some things that over the past few months that have been subtracted from our life that we need to not re-add, you know? And we've been saying that maybe there's some things that we've added in our life that maybe we shouldn't subtract. And maybe there's old habits that were in our life that now is actually a perfect time to replace those with maybe some new habits. Maybe it's a time for us to recalibrate. And so last week, uh, we actually introduced this whole series we began looking at Hebrews chapter 12, and we actually said that for those of us who follow Jesus, and, and by the way, let me just say, I know that not everyone who's listening to this right now is a follower of Christ. Some of you maybe are still investigating Christianity, you're investigating Jesus, which by the way, if that's you, man, thanks so much for tuning in. We count it a privilege that you let us be part of that investigation. But last week we said that for those of us who do follow Jesus, the Bible is going to say, at the proper the proper place that we need to look and to live our to look to to live our lives the way that God wants us to live is we need to look at Jesus Christ. In other words, we said 
the, the beginning point for recalibrating our life is not that we look at all of the things that are changing around us, but we need to fix our eyes on Jesus Christ, who's unchanging. That's actually exactly what Hebrews says. So let me just say that if you missed last week's conversation, I would really encourage you maybe to go back and check that out. Uh, you can uh, get that on our website, on our app, our podcast. I actually think that would be really helpful as that really kind of sets the foundation for today's conversation. All right. And so, so this week, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to build on what we started talking about last week. And we want to start breaking down, practically speaking, what does it actually look like to live a life in which our eyes are fixed on Jesus? Like how do you, practically speaking, how does it actually play out in a person's life? And so here's where we want to start. Okay. So where does it start? Well, I, I think it's good. It, the, the beginning point is actually here. And this is what I want to spend our time talking about today. I think to recalibrate, it begins by um, sitting at the feet of Jesus. That's sitting. What does it mean to fix our eyes on, on Christ? I think it begins by sitting at the feet of Jesus. Okay, so I know that might sound super simple to some of us. Maybe for some of us, it sounds kind of weird when I say that. Um, but, but here's what I hope we discover today, that this right here is actually so crucial and is so, so often missed as we think about recalibrating our lives and as we think about resetting our lives in a healthy way. And, and, and today I just want to talk a little bit about the importance and the practice of sitting at the feet of Jesus. Okay. Now, now I, I know that if you are uh, maybe kind of a church person already, some of you might be that, uh, you might be thinking to yourself, okay, I, I think I know where this message is going, right? You're, you're going to tell me that uh, I should prioritize uh, reading the Bible, that I should take time every day, you know, to pray, maybe do like a devotional or a quiet time. Maybe you've heard words like that before. And you might be thinking, okay, that's what you're going to be talking about today. And so let me just say that, um, that yes, actually, I am going to be talking about that. But I would also say, um, kind of, so not entirely. And actually, I, I want to talk about something that I think is, is more than that something that is quite honestly often missed, and that's this. I, I don't just want to talk about the importance of the practice of spending time with God, which I think is important, but I actually want to talk about what I think is more important, and that's the posture of how you do that, all right? The posture. Now you're like, okay, so what do you mean by that? So let me show you, all right? So if you've got a Bible, let's open them together, and I want to invite you to go with me to Luke chapter 10. All right, so Luke chapter 10. So go ahead and get a Bible, uh, open up your app, whatever you got, and uh, get to Luke chapter 10. I would encourage you to get that right there in front of you. And so as you're flipping, as you're opening uh, to Luke chapter 10, uh, let me give you a little bit of background and uh, kind of help you kind of set up what we're going to look at today. So in, in Luke chapter 10, Luke is a, a gospel, which is a little bit like, uh, a, little bit like a, a biography or a uh, kind of a, an account of the life of Jesus. And here we're actually going to see a somewhat famous uh, account about two sisters. Okay, and these two sisters, one is named Mary, and the other one is named is named Martha. Now, uh, now most likely, uh, now we can't be entirely sure, but most probably, the Mary and Martha that we discover in this passage are actually well-known, dear friends of Jesus, and so there are actually other times in other places where uh, these two women are mentioned, Mary and Martha. One of those places, uh, some of you might remember, is uh, like in John 11, 
In John chapter 11, the Bible tells us about Mary and Martha and then their brother named Lazarus. And of course, Lazarus is real famous because he was a guy who died and Jesus rose him from the dead. And so most likely, this is the same Mary and Martha. And, and what we're going to see is that although they're sisters, right, although they, they actually uh, are sisters, they are very, very, very different, uh, which oftentimes tends to be the case, right? My guess is if you have siblings, that's probably true, that even though you come from the same gene pool, you ended up two entirely different people or however that might pan out. Well, that is so the case with, with Mary and Martha. And I think we're actually going to see uh, some of those nuances come out in this story. So let's take a look at it. It's a pretty brief account, but starting off here in verse 38. So here's what it says. It says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came, Jesus came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. And so she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. And so she came to him and she asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. And then verse 41, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and you are upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. And so a brief, but man, powerful, powerful passage. And, and, you know, I think that there is so much that we can learn from this passage. There's a lot that's been written about this passage, but specifically what I want to focus on today is I think there's a lot that we can learn from these two sisters' interactions with Jesus. And what you'll notice when you dig into this passage is there are very, very different interactions. And maybe uh, what I'm hoping we'll see today is one of the most striking distinctions between the way that these two sisters interact with Jesus is the posture that they take, is the posture. And so what do I mean by that? Well, I want you to notice first and foremost that the author, Luke, actually goes out of his way to tell us the posture of both of these sisters. And the first one I want you to notice is the posture of Mary, all right, and Mary's interaction with Jesus. What is her posture? Well, we're gonna see in here, her posture is one, that her, her interaction with Jesus is that she is sitting and she is listening. Okay, so the Bible's gonna tell us this, that Mary's interaction with Jesus is one in which she sits and she listens. So, so notice this here in verse 39. It says that Martha had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet. She sat at the Lord's feet. And so I think it's really interesting that the Bible tells us this. Notice that she's, that she's sitting, but not just sitting, right? This isn't just like she sat down next to Jesus, but she's sitting more particularly at his feet. She's sitting at his feet. Now, now here's what you, uh, what you might not know, but actually is, I think, very significant. And that, that is that this expression right here, to sit at someone's feet, back in this time, uh, meant far, far more than just sitting next to someone or sitting with someone. It was, it was actually indicative of uh, placing oneself underneath uh, the authority of another person. And so that's kind of what it has in mind here. In fact, back, back in the first century, uh, in Jewish culture, 
Uh, you didn't go to a university. You didn't go to, to a college or anything like that. But what you would do is you would actually follow a rabbi if you wanted to pursue further education. And so it was almost like, I guess for lack of a better word, you would almost have to like apply for a rabbi. And if the rabbi invited you to come follow him, uh, and he would do that, he would say, come follow me. What you would do is you would say that you sat at the feet of that rabbi. And that meant that you were to come under the tutelage, you were to come under the authority of that rabbi, right? And so the Bible tells us here that Mary was doing that same thing. Now, this little phrase, to sit at the feet of another, is actually also used in other places in the Bible to express the same idea. So I'll give you a couple examples. In Acts 22, um, the apostle Paul talks about how he was a disciple of a guy named Gamaliel. And it's interesting that he says this. He says, I was educated at the feet of Gamaliel. Isn't that interesting? That's because it was a common expression. It was, in other words, he was saying, I was coming, I came underneath the authority and I came underneath the teaching and I came underneath the worldview of this guy, Gamaliel. You see an interesting, the same kind of interesting idea here in Acts chapter four. The Bible says that from time to time, uh, those who were followers of Jesus who owned land or houses would sell those things and they brought the money from the sales and they put them at the apostles' feet. So they would lay resources at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone who had need. And so you, I th maybe you kind of see this, right? Um, it's kind of this, this symbolic posture of placing oneself under the authority. It's a posture of um, submission. It's a posture of receptivity. And I think it's so fascinating, the Bible tells us, that this was Mary's posture, that when she interacted with Jesus, that she sat at the Lord's feet. And not only did she sit at the Lord's feet, but notice what it also says. It says, and she listened to what he said. He listened to what he said. Um, now, what that, uh, some of you might have some different translations. Your translation might say, she listened to his teaching. And actually, quite literally, what the translation is, is that she sat and she listened to the, his teaching and she listened to his word. In fact, that's actually the literal translation. She listened to his word. And so what I want you to understand here is that what Luke is telling us is that this is far more than Jesus and Mary just, you know, having some chit chat. This is far more than them just kind of talking about weather or sports or catching up on what the latest conspiracy theory is or whatever that might be. What she's doing is she's in a position of receiving from Jesus, her rabbi, right? His words and his teaching. She's downloading these things. And so she's sitting and she's listening. I think it's really interesting. And I want you to compare that with a mo for a moment with Martha. Okay, so Martha, we're actually gonna be told in this passage, and I think it's very intentional, that she has a very different posture. And, and what is that? Well, she's going to show us that rather than sitting and listening, Martha is going to be standing and telling. That's where she's gonna be at, right? So let me, let me show you where you see this. So take a look at verse 40. It says, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. So she's getting all the dinner ready for Jesus and the guests, maybe the disciples were all there. So it could, maybe it was a large crowd, you know, and, and that could be really stressful. And so she came to Jesus and she said, Lord, don't you care that my sister's left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Now here, here's something that is unfortunately, uh, can get lost in translation a little bit. But I think it's actually really intentional and it's really important. And it's actually uh, right here, what it says that, uh, that Martha came to him and asked. And so, so literally the word that's used here 
to, to come to Jesus here is actually uh, two Greek words that are put together. And it's the word for stand, to stand, and uh, over, to stand over or to stand next to. And so I, I don't know if you kind of see what's going on here, right? Here's Mary uh, sitting, right, sitting uh, at Jesus's feet. Martha is a different position, and it's almost as if uh, the author is telling us she's standing over. She's, she's standing up next to, to Jesus. And what I think is so funny is look what she says. So she comes and stands over Jesus, and she says, Lord, don't you care? Mary's not helping. Tell her to help me. And so not only is she standing, she's also, she's also telling. And I, I think that, uh, man, I think this is, you can't help but chuckle at this. It's a little paradoxical, isn't it? I mean, she says, Lord, Lord, tell her <laughs> to help me. And we all know what Lord is, right? We know what Lord means. Lord, uh, Lord implies like the one who has authority. Lord is the one that you serve. Lord is the one that you listen to and you follow. And yet, how funny is it here? She says, Lord, tell her to do what I want her to do. And it's a little comical because here Jesus is, or I'm sorry, here Martha is commanding her Lord what to do. And um, I'll tell you, I think that in a lot of ways, this is actually uh, pretty consistent with what we see Martha uh, like in other places throughout the Bible. I think it's interesting, you know, when you look at other passages where Mary and Martha are mentioned, where they're spoken of, I think we have hints that part of her response that we see, in part, is driven a little bit by her personality and her temperament. If you think about it, uh, there's, there's quite a difference between, between Mary and Martha. And so uh, with Martha, uh, what's fascinating is it seems like whenever you read about her in the Bible, so she's mentioned, like I said, in John chapter 11 here in this passage, it seems like in those places, she's always up on her feet, right? She's always standing. She's always moving. She's always doing. She's always questioning. Uh, in, uh, in John 11, the Bible tells us that Jesus comes to visit Mary and Martha after the death of her brother Lazarus. And the Bible says that when Jesus comes, you know what Mary does? The Bible says that Mary stays back, but guess what Martha does when Jesus shows up? The Bible says that she immediately goes out to Jesus and she begins to question him, right? So you, you kind of see this, right? And the Bible tells us that Mary, with Mary, that she, um, every time she's mentioned in the Bible, she's at the feet of Jesus. And so in John 11, um, when uh, Jesus comes, the Bible says that when Jesus calls Mary to come to him, she drops at his feet and weeps. Uh, we see this all throughout kind of the, the, the scripture in those ways. Martha is always up on her feet, right? She's, she's questioning and those kind of things. I think it's interesting in John 11, um, you have to read it by the way, the Bible tells us that Jesus goes to roll the stone away uh, that's on the tomb so that he can raise Lazarus from the dead. And Martha's the one who protests. So Martha says, Lord, don't roll the stone away. Lazarus has been in there for four days. He stinks. Don't do it. And, uh, and, and so I, you kind of get this, right? It seems like Martha is, man, it seems like she's the practical one. It seems like she's maybe the no-nonsense one. She's, you get the impression when, when you read about her that she's like a capital D doer. She just, she's on her feet, man. She questions things. She does things. She has a kind of that kind of personality. It seems like she's the kind of person who, in any situation, ends up taking charge. She knows what to do before anyone else knows what to do. She's decisive. She's, she's quick to know what to do and quick to tell other people what they ought to be doing as well. 
She's ambitious. I mean, quite honestly, I think you see it, don't you? She's a leader. She's a leader. And we see that here in Martha. Can I actually tell you something I find interesting? If you look carefully, and I, I wonder if this is intentional. I'm not sure. But I want you to notice at the beginning of this, it actually tells us that when Jesus came to his village, that Martha was the one who opened her home to him. I think that's interesting. You notice that it's Martha's house. Why isn't it Mary's house? Why isn't it Lazarus's house? No doubt they would have lived there too. Uh, back in the first century, that's how things went. Well, I, th I think maybe it says that because Martha evidently is the one who takes the lead, right? Martha's the one who basically has figured out how the family's gonna do its stuff. Martha, you know, it's Martha's house. She's got her way. And most likely everyone else just kind of goes along with it. Now that I might be reading into that, but why, why is all that important? All right, well, what I'm trying to draw out is, is something, uh, is something uh, that I think maybe would lead to this question. All right, so I just wanna ask you this. I wanna ask you, when you think of, of Mary and Martha, now I, I'm not gonna ask you, which one do you tend to be? A lot of people will do that. They'll say, do you tend to be Mary or do you tend to be Martha? And I think that's a really interesting question and maybe you wanna think about that. But I actually wanna ask you a broader question. And it's this, what kind of society do you think we live in? Do we live in a Mary society? Do we live in a Martha society? Do you think that we tend to um, celebrate and pursue more of the Mary tendencies or the Martha tendencies in our day? Right? I just want you to think about that for a minute. And I think that most of us would probably look and say that the temperament that we tend to celebrate, the one that we tend to look at in our culture, in our society, in 21st century America, here in the place that we live, a lot of us would say, yeah, we, we live in kind of in a Martha society. We kind of live in a Martha culture, right? So I see that. I absolutely see that in myself, without a doubt. And so here's the question then, what does it mean to take the posture, what does it mean to take the posture of Mary, of sitting and listening, rather than this posture of standing and telling? What does it look like to do that? Because uh, like I said, it doesn't, it's, not, it's not something that always comes naturally for us. All right. So, so for those of us who follow Jesus, um, you know, we talk a lot about the importance of regularly spending time with God, you know, getting in the Bible and praying. And so if you've been around here at Grace for any length of time, you've heard us talk about that, right? You, you maybe hear, hear us talk about the idea of quiet time, spending time in the Bible every day, devotions. You maybe have heard people use those terms before. And typically what that includes is reading the Bible, praying, journaling, that kind of thing. In fact, um, this is such an important practice. We actually talk about this a lot. We did a whole series last year uh, that we talked extensively about this it called Patterns That Change Us. And so in that series, we talked about the importance of this habit of spending time in God's word, listening to him, spending time with Jesus. And in fact, let me just say that if you're new to Christianity, if you're, this is a whole new concept to you, I actually included a resource um, that we utilize during the Patterns That Change Us series called Cultivating a Private Space. And I added that on our website. So if you're watching this online, you can click on that and check it out. If you're watching one of our venues, I'd encourage you to go do that. It's very, very practical in how to begin pursuing this habit in your life. And so if this is all new to you, I would encourage you to do that. But let me just say, this practice, the practice of spending regular time with God, is crucial in the life of a Christian. It's absolutely crucial. But here's the thing. What can often be missed is that it is not just the practice 
that is essential to transformation. It is also the posture in which we engage in this practice. I think, I think listen, this is far more than checking a box. It's far more than that. Uh, this includes more than that. It's the difference between sitting and listening and standing and telling. So, so what's the difference? All right, well, let, let me put it, maybe put it to you this way. I'll just, I'll just use one example. Let's just talk about reading the Bible. You know, I think uh, there are actually a couple, two ways, really, you could read the Bible, all right? And one is that you could stand and tell, and the other way is that you can, you can sit and listen, uh, two different ways. Now, uh, do I mean that literally? No, no, here, here, here's what I mean by that. Um, what does it mean to, to stand and tell? I think it means this. It means that I'm, I'm the one who's standing over it. I'm, I'm telling it. God's word is under me. I'm the one who decides what I like, what I don't like. I, I like the things that validate my opinion, my preferences. I like the things that motivate me. I like the things that inspire me. I'm in control. I'm the judge of the things that I like that it says. I dislike and I dismiss the things that challenge my preferences or the things that I find boring or I find irrelevant. And I approach God's word in such a way that I'm looking for it to tell me what it is that I want to hear. I'm not, I'm not really willing to allow it to challenge my thinking or offend my preferences or my prejudices or my political views. I'm actually looking at, for it to validate those things in my life. You know, I actually think here in our passage, don't we see a little bit of this in Martha, don't we? She comes to Jesus and basically what does she say? She says, Jesus, tell my sister to do what I want. In other words, Jesus, use your words, use your word, to tell her what I want you to do. It's very, very, very different, right? Now, the other way to read the Bible is, is the posture of Mary. It's to sit and it's to listen. It's to come with a posture of humility. It's come with a posture of receptivity. What does that look like? Well, I think it looks like this. I think it looks like I come and I, I release control. I open my heart, I open my mind, and I open my will to hear what my rabbi has to teach me. I think it's coming with a posture where God's word is above me. It has weight, it has authority. It can challenge me, it can change me. Uh, you know, I think in many ways, um, one of the main differences between these two postures is actually that of, um, is that of agenda. I've been thinking a lot about this word recently. You know, uh, this is a word that we're all familiar with, for sure. I mean, you think about the world we live in right now, you think about the news, and you think about media, and you think about politics. It doesn't it seem like the world that we live in is just full of competing agendas. And so uh, liberals have an agenda, and the conservatives have an agenda. Every major uh, news network Fox News has an agenda. CNN has an agenda. And it seems like everyone is competing to, to advance and to push forward their agenda. And so every event that we see that happens, every event in our world is viewed as an opportunity to spin in favor of a certain agenda that's being propagated. And so what I think, I think this passage is showing us is is that much more than just the importance of spending time with Jesus, I think it's showing us the importance of the posture that we need to take as well. 
And when I come and spend time with Jesus, whether that's in prayer or with my Bible, what it looks like, do I come to reinforce an agenda that I might have? Do I come so that Jesus will validate what I think already? Or am I seeking out God's agenda for my life? Am I, am I coming to God to push an agenda or am I coming to Jesus to receive one? God, what do you want me to do? What, what, what would you have me to do? Am I coming to God to support and reinforce my opinions? Or am I inviting God to reform and reshape and transform mine? Am I sitting and listening or am I standing and am I telling? Now, before I go too far, all right, I need to clarify something real quick, all right? Because some of us might read this passage that we just looked at, and you might be saying, ah, okay, I see. So Martha is bad and evil, and Mary is good and perfect. So the moral of the story is be like Mary and not like Martha. That's the whole story. So I got it. And so let me just say that real quick, not so fast, all right? Martha, no doubt, is an amazing, amazing lady. You see this in the Bible in, in, all of the, in all the places she's mentioned. She is the one, I don't know if you noticed in this passage, she is the one who invites Jesus into her home. She's the one who initiates that. She extends hospitality. She is the one who's preparing the meal for everybody. She's the one who's eager to serve, the first one to do it. And I just tell you, there are a lot of benefits to hanging out with Martha's. If you don't believe me, just ask Mary, right? Mary got to reap the benefits of the experience that she had with Jesus in part because of Martha. And so I would just say, thank God for the Marthas. Thank God for the Marthas. See, the problem with Martha was not that she was working to serve Jesus. That wasn't the problem. A lot of people will read this story and then they conclude that it's about choosing a contemplative life, that we should just sit at the feet of Jesus and we should never be concerned about serving him. So we should just sit at the feet of Jesus and I just want to sit at his feet and sing worship songs and journal. I just want to journal and express my feelings and that's what I want to do all day long. And, and let me just say, no, 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 no. In fact, did you know, you got you to gotta put this stuff in context. Did you know that right before this passage, we actually see Jesus' story, his parable about the Good Samaritan. Boy, and if you don't know that, uh, that's a parable in which Jesus commands his followers to serve him by loving our neighbors in practical, intangible ways, by doing things. And so Jesus isn't opposed to our service. In fact, he commands it. Serving is an extremely important virtue in the Christian life. It's something uh, that we're told is one of God's means of grace to us. It's something that God uses to make us more like him. So serving it is, isn't the issue. So, so you might be saying, well then, okay, well then what is the issue? What is it? Well, I, I think verse 40 draws it out. Look what the Bible says. Martha was distracted. She was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. Jesus in the next verse is going to further identify the issue. Look what he says. He says, Martha, Martha, you're worried and you're upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one, only one. The problem wasn't Martha's service, right? The problem is that she had allowed her service to distract her from what Jesus said was the better thing and what Jesus said was the only needed thing, was the only needed thing. Mary was so busy serving and doing. She was so busy pursuing, quite honestly, her vision of the way things were supposed to look. She was so busy trying to hold on to control 
that she was distracted from the most important thing. And I'll tell you what's interesting. Notice the result. Because she missed the most important thing and was distracted by the many things, what was the result in her life? I just want you to notice these three things. See if you can relate. I don't know. See if you can relate to any of these things. First off, she was irritable. She was irritable. She's frustrated, right? She's irritable with people who are not getting with the program. She's irritable with people who are getting in the way, who are not helping her uh, pursue the vision of what she had in mind. She's frustrated. She's irritated. In fact, she even says in this passage, she says, Lord, tell her to help, tell, tell Mary to come and help me. She's irritated with people on the outside because she has inner disharmony that's happening on the inside. So she's irritable. She's irritable, but not just irritable. We're also told that she was skeptical. She's skeptical. I think this is so interesting in this passage. When she comes to the Lord, do you notice the question that she asks? She says, Lord, don't you care? Don't you care? Tell my sister to help me. Again, it's a little comical. She actually comes in and she starts bossing Jesus around. She says, Jesus, don't you care? And I can't help but wonder <laughs> when I read this, I just can't help but wonder if, uh, if Jesus was thinking to himself, uh, do I care? Uh, yeah. I created the heavens and the earth, and I'm on my way to Jerusalem to die for the sins of the world. I think I care. Thanks for the dinner and everything, Martha. Right? I can't help but wonder if Jesus thought that. I'm pretty sure he didn't. But I'm just saying, if I was Jesus, I would have been thinking that. But uh, he's far more compassionate and loving than I am. But I want you to notice that this is what happens sometimes. Now, for those of us who have Martha inclinations, myself included, especially for those of us in, this, in the church, is we can sometimes become resentful. And outwardly, it looks like we're worshiping, it looks like we're serving, and inwardly we're seething. No one helps. No one does their part. I can't depend on, I love God the most. I work the hardest. It's easy to fall into that trap. And so we see, she's irritable, she's skeptical, and then check this out, she's worried and she's upset. Worried and upset. That's what, exactly what Jesus says. He says, Martha, you're worried and you're upset about many things. We actually talked about this a couple weeks ago when we talked about anxiety in our emotion series. We said the word, uh, the word worried is actually a really interesting word. It is the word to be divided. It's to be scattered. And upset means to be crowded. That's what it literally means, to be crowded in your mind. So he says, Martha, you are overwhelmed. You are crowded in your mind. I want you to think about those words for a minute. Worried and upset about many things. I just say, I think that's actually a good description of maybe how some of us, maybe many of us, uh, live. It could, could it be that if we find ourselves here, irritable, skeptical, God, do you care? Worried and upset about all the things that are on our mind and in the world, is it possible, is it possible that maybe those things are symptomatic, that maybe the one thing that we actually need is lacking? Is that possible? I think that maybe he's drawn that out here in this passage because Jesus points out that even good things, even good things like serving him can cause us to be anxious and worried and upset and to miss out on the one thing that matters the most that can never be taken away from us. Now, I want to pause here for just a second, and I want to clarify again, all right? I think it's really important that you hear me say this, especially for the Marthas who happen to be listening to this right now. I think, I think we need to know that Jesus here in this passage, 
He is not condemning Martha. In fact, I I love this. I want to point this out because I just thought this was so cool. He says her name twice. He says, Martha, Martha. So commentators point out that every time Jesus repeats the name of someone or something, that it's almost always accompanied by compassion and tears. Uh, That Jesus, I just want you to see this here. Jesus is not, he's not condemning her. What is he doing? I think he's inviting her. I think he's inviting her. I mean, how do you how do you envision that Jesus would have said this to Martha? Do you imagine that he said it with like a furrowed brow? You know, Martha, Martha. Right? Do you, you imagine he said it with like grinded teeth? You know, Martha. Did he say it shaking his head in disapproval? Martha. Is that how he said it? And and can I tell you? I don't, I don't think so. I mean, I wasn't there, but I don't think so. I could tell you how I imagine that he said it. I actually imagine him saying it smiling. Martha. I think maybe he even maybe he even said it in a playful tone because you know he knows her and he knows she takes herself too seriously. And so my guess is that maybe he's Martha. Remember, Jesus has a relationship with her, right? I think he has a friendship with her. And I think Jesus, I think Jesus is saying, Martha, why don't you go just sit down? I, I actually want to spend time with you. And, and, and enjoy this relationship that we, that we have. You see, I think, I think for those of us who are like Martha, we need to know that. Jesus is saying this out of compassion. Because for those of us who are like Martha, we read this and we think to ourselves, well, there's another thing I have to add to my checklist. I got to get my time with Jesus now. And I don't, I don't think that's the point, right? I think the point is he loves you. Jesus loves you. He's not condemning you. He's inviting you. He's not saying just add another thing to your checklist. He's saying, I want you to come and sit with me. There's things I want to talk to you about. There's things that I want to minister in your heart. There's things I want to challenge. I, I love you and I care about you and I want to have this relationship with you. I think that's, that's what it means to sit at the feet of, of Jesus. And I think it's interesting because in this passage, I want you to notice what it says. He actually says this. He says that Mary has chosen what is better and it's not going to be taken away from her. I think that's really, that's a really interesting statement, isn't it? She's chosen what's better. Some of your translations say she's chosen the good portion, good portion that can't be taken away. Isn't it true? Um, Once the meal is over, once the task is finished, it's over. And there's always going to be another meal to prepare for. There's always going to be another task. There's always another thing to prepare for. But once you've spent time with Jesus... That gift lasts forever, and you'll never be the same. You'll be changed. Listen, almost everything that keeps us busy in life, almost everything that fills our calendar, almost everything that we pursue leaves us with results that are going to be taken away from us. Work as hard as you want with your career and in your life, and one day you're not going to have that job anymore. Clean your house. You know, be diligent. You know, clean that, scrub that thing down. It's going to be dirty again next week. If you have kids, it's going to be dirty again in an hour, right? Uh, Organize your finances. Get them all ready. It's going to be a fresh stack of bills to deal with next week. Look, work out all you want to. Go to the gym. Hit it hard. Go five times a week. But listen, here's the truth. The clock and gravity always win (laughs) every single time. And all these things, listen, hear me. All those things have their place. I think they're good. But what he's saying here is that there's something better. And sitting in the presence of Jesus, it's the secret to everything. And not just sitting at Jesus' feet every once in a while, but doing it regularly and sitting in his presence 
and not just standing and telling, but coming with a heart of receptivity and sitting and listening. My wife, uh, I'll end with this. My wife and I were talking about this this past week, and she uh, she was reminding me, she's been rereading uh, a great book by Watchman Nee uh, that's called Sit, Walk, Stand. And uh, she said, man, so much of, of this passage reminds me of what I've been reading. And she shared a few quotes with me that I thought were really good, and I'll share, with, share them with you too. Here's, here's what Watchman Nee says. He says, God is waiting till you cease to do And when you cease doing, then God will begin. He goes on, he says, every new spiritual experience begins with an acceptance by faith of what God has done with a new sitting down, if you'd like. Sitting down in the finished work of Jesus, ready to receive. And then he says this, there is no limit to the grace God is willing to bestow upon us. He will give us everything, but we can receive none of it except as we rest in him. And I think that's exactly what this passage is teaching us. I think it's easy uh, to focus on the many things. It's easy to get distracted from the one thing, the thing that Jesus says is the most essential, the thing that Jesus says cannot be taken away from us. And so as we think about recalibrating, I'd encourage you, maybe even right now, to really think through and really pray for and really to fight for Uh, pursuing a regular habit in your life of sitting and listening to Jesus. Check out that resource that I mentioned uh, previously. If you're kind of new to this this whole thing, I'd encourage you to start there. It's a great place. But look, as we recalibrate, we don't want to miss the one essential thing that Jesus said cannot be taken away from us. The one thing that he said will last. Let's pray together. Well, Lord Jesus, we want to come to you and we want to recognize that you are, um, for those of us who follow you, you are our Lord. And that means that we come and we sit at your feet. And we come to hear from you, to learn from you, to change us and to transform us. Thank you so much for your grace to us. Thanks for your kindness. (laughs) Lord, you're so kind. And I pray uh, that even on this day that you would give us a fresh vision for what it would look like in our lives for us to sit and to listen, to sit at your feet. Lord, uh, forgive us for the times that we stand and we tell, because uh, God, I know I do it in my own life, and I pray that you'd liberate us from that, liberate us from the irritation and the skepticism and the worry and the anxiety that comes along with that. And we ask these things and pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.